Let us pray. O God, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear what you are saying to us today. Amen. A Sunday school teacher was having a discussion with his first grade class, and they were talking about those first men that Jesus called to be his followers. The teacher asked, now, what were those men called? And of course, he was looking for the word disciples. But there was a long pause, and finally one of the boys said, I know, I know, I know, the recycles. Actually, that's a pretty apt description of those first followers of Jesus, uh, isn't it? I mean, uneducated fishermen, hated tax collectors, feared persecutors of the Christian community were recycled into dedicated, useful servants of God because they had been with Jesus. As those original disciples walked with Jesus over the course of three years, they began to take on more and more of the characteristics of their master. They were recycled, if you will, they became new and different people for having watched and learned from Jesus. I've often wondered what it would have been like to be among the 12 who followed Jesus day by day. I mean, imagine listening to the greatest teacher who ever lived and being an eyewitness to Jesus' mighty works. I mean, what would it have been like to find yourself in the presence of the Holy One Himself? Well, one thing is for sure, you can't follow Jesus without experiencing transformation of life. As the Apostle Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The last few weeks, my messages have focused on what it is to be a follower of Jesus, and now I want to pivot a bit to talk about those original 12 disciples. Who were these men? What were some of their outstanding characteristics? And how did they change as they followed Jesus? What can you and I learn from their experience with him? Some of the disciples we know very little about, which naturally makes it hard to sermonize about them. We, we wish we knew more about them. But other disciples come more clearly into focus in the Gospels. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Matthew, Thomas, Judas. Well, first on the list has got to be Simon Peter. He's the chief of the apostles. We know more about him than any other disciple. In fact, his name comes up more often in the four Gospels than any other except Jesus. He started out as a fisherman, of course. He lived with his wife on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee in a town called Capernaum, where they shared a house with his mother-in-law and his brother Andrew. He and Andrew had their own boat and were in business with a couple of partners, James and John, Zebedee's sons. And as we've seen, Simon's life changed when he met Jesus, who told him he could quit fishing for fish and fish for people instead. From then on, he was in the people business. Natural-born leader, he was always the first disciple to speak and the first to act. You might say he was the official spokesperson of the group. And with James and John, he was part of that inner circle that surrounded Jesus at crucial times of his ministry. Well, how can we describe Simon Peter? I mean, we don't have a physical description, although in popular imagination, he's thought of as being tall and strong. We, we think of him as the big fisherman. He had to be pretty tough to be a fisherman in those days, working with all those nets and hauling in all those fish. But anyway, it's easier to describe his character as we meet him in the Gospels. To pick a few adjectives, we might say he was bold, brash, impulsive, impetuous, cowardly, but at times courageous, tempestuous, talented, enthusiastic, and extroverted. But above all, and this is why I like him, he was human. 
He wasn't a superstar saint who could do no wrong. As you read the Gospels, his down-to-earth humanity really shines through. For that reason, it's easy to identify with him. The poor guy was always putting his foot in his mouth. Being brash and impulsive, he was always saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. For an example, one day Jesus took Peter and James and John up on a mountain, and there Jesus was transfigured before them. Jesus' clothes turned dazzling white and radiant beams of light shone all around him. And Jesus is joined by Moses and Elijah, the two greatest prophets of Jewish faith, and they were speaking to one another. It was a profound, holy moment, an incredible heavenly vision, a sublime spiritual experience. And Simon Peter has to go and spoil it all, saying, Hey guys, let's camp here. I'll set up some tents. Come on, Peter. Just linger for a moment in the mystery and the wonder of it all. Oh, but there's one in every crowd. Maybe we resemble that remark. Well, there's much we can say about Simon Peter. What I like most about him, beyond his evident humanity, is his shining declaration of faith, his comeback from failure, and his passionate love for Jesus and his church. Peter was the first disciple to really discover who Jesus was. At least he had come to know that Jesus was no mere prophet. We read from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the reign or the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Well, what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Well, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Jesus asked that all-important question to his disciples, Who do you say that I am? And the disciples echoed the opinions of others. Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, or Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But Peter was the first to speak up and voice his belief that this Jesus was no mere prophet, but he was, in fact, the very Son of the living God, the Messiah himself, come to save his people. Peter knew Jesus to be the one true king, God's adopted son, the one the prophets had foretold. His was the greatest confession of faith in the New Testament. Jesus was pleased. Finally, Finally, the disciples were starting to get it. Good for you, Peter. Jesus congratulated Peter on his spiritual insight that had been revealed to him by his Father in heaven. And it was then that Jesus gives Simon his new name. Simon, you are Peter, the rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. The name Peter, or in his native Aramaic, Cephas, means rock or stone. For centuries, there's been a, a lot of controversy about what Jesus meant when he called Peter the rock upon which he would build his church. Is Peter himself the rock? 
Hence the, the Roman Catholic view that Jesus was at that moment making him the first pope, giving him and succeeding popes kingdom authority. Or is the rock Peter's faith? Peter's faith becoming the spark which was to kindle the faith of the worldwide church? I think the best explanation uh, of this was voiced by Bible scholar William Barclay. He says that Peter himself is the rock, but in a special sense. He's not the rock on which the church is founded, that rock is God, but Peter is the first stone of the whole church. Peter was the first person on earth to discover who Jesus was. He was the first person to make the leap of faith and see in him the son of the living God. In other words, Peter was the first member of the church. And in that sense, the whole church is built on him. It is as if Jesus said to Peter, Peter, you are the first person to grasp who I am. You are therefore the first stone, the foundation stone, the very beginning of the church which I am founding. And in ages to come, says Barclay, everyone who makes the same discovery as Peter is another stone added into the edifice of the church of Christ. Just as God gave Abram the name Abraham, indicating that he would be the father of many nations, so now Jesus gives Simon the new name Peter, the rock, the first stone upon which he would build his church. Well, poor Peter, as no sooner did he make this magnificent confession of faith and get this wonderful blessing from Jesus, that he put his foot in his mouth. For Jesus went on to speak about his impending suffering and said that he would be killed at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and Peter would have none of it. Peter protested, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Jesus then responded with a searing rebuke, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. The one whom Jesus had just declared to be the rock had suddenly become a stumbling stone. And Peter was devastated. Peter once again put his foot in his mouth during the Last Supper. Jesus started quoting scripture about how the shepherd was about to be killed and his sheep were about to be scattered. Well, Peter challenged him and said, everyone else will fall away, but I will not. Well, that was an admirable thing to say, to be sure, but, but we all know the sad story of how Peter denied his Lord three times while warming himself by the fire in the high priest's courtyard and how after the cock crowed, Peter broke down and cried. Peter was utterly devastated once again. After the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, Peter had gone back to fishing, back to his old life, still nursing, no doubt, the guilt and shame of what he had done. But then one morning, a man appeared at the seashore. He told the fishermen to cast their nets on the other side of their boats, and lo and behold, there was a huge catch. Peter knew it could only be the Lord. True to form, he threw himself into the water and swam ashore. And then Jesus and his disciples enjoyed a fish fry breakfast. And then we read in John chapter 21, beginning at verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, well, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. I love the tender way Jesus deals with his failed disciple. There was no condemnation, just a chance to be reinstated as Jesus' friend and ally. And Peter responded affirmatively each time so as to make up for the threefold denial. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep, said Jesus. Get back out into the world and serve me as you did before. And so accepting his forgiveness and his new commission, Peter began again, a rock stronger than ever. And that took some courage on his part. It would have been so much easier for him just to sit around and feel sorry for himself and beat himself up. But he refused to do that. That's why I like Peter. I appreciate him because I can identify with his humanity. He was the first disciple to declare his faith in Jesus, and he, but he was admirable in the way he handled failure when his allegiance fell short in a terrible moment of denial. One other thing about Peter, no one loved Jesus more. There wasn't anything he wouldn't do for the Lord. He carried out his commission from the Lord with boundless energy and passion. He served as the leader of the early church in Jerusalem. He went from city to city encouraging the flock, shepherding and strengthening the new struggling churches. He went to Rome and may well have founded the church there. He, he preached and taught and healed the sick and finally met a martyr's death. One tale says that Peter's preaching was used by God to convert some of the favorite mistresses of the emperor Nero. Furious, Nero threw Peter into a horrible prison where he was tortured and lived for nine months. Then he ordered him to be crucified. Peter did it all for the love of Jesus, totally committed to the one who died for him. Legend says that when Peter's death warrant was signed by Nero, friends warned Peter to flee for safety. And as he fled, he had a vision of Christ entering Rome. Falling before him, Peter asked, well, where are you going, master? And Jesus replied, to Rome, to be crucified anew. And Peter realized that Jesus was going into Rome to bear the cross from which he was running away. Peter turned back to the city, was condemned to death, and died, asking to be crucified head down, as he was not worthy to die as had his Lord. Peter is easy to like. We can all identify with his humanity. Peter was a man with a tender conscience and a humble spirit. Aware of his failure and inadequacy, he refused to wallow in a pool of self-pity. He accepted Jesus' forgiveness. He was overwhelmed by by the grace that Jesus had, had shown to him. And he went on to give his all in the Lord's service and became evermore the rock upon which the church was built. Whatever talent and energy he possessed, he gave to Jesus as an offering of love for his dear friend. And Jesus used him in a magnificent way. If the Lord can use someone like Peter with all his imperfections and failures, he can certainly use you and me. Now, you and I may not be like Peter. 
But as followers of Jesus, each one of us has a part to play in the story God is writing. We can all serve the Lord with the same kind of passion and energy in the context in which we find ourselves, employing whatever gifts and abilities God has given us to further his cause in the world. The Lord is asking you and me today what he asked Peter. Do you love me? Of course you say you do, but do you really? Do you love me? Then take care of my sheep, tend my flock. And that's something we can all do, can we not? We can care for and love one another. The best way to express our love for Jesus is to love and serve those around us. In these days, there's no shortage of opportunities to do just that. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.